The Birth Circle podcast features experts in all the nuanced areas of pregnancy, birth, and postpartum with the aim of helping women make the choices that will keep them safe, healthy, and empowered. We respect all birth choices and believe in supporting informed consent and evidence-based practices. Nothing said on this podcast should be taken as medical advice. You should always seek the advice of a competent professional for your care. Welcome to the Birth Circle podcast. This is Sarah with Birth Circle, and today I have Mandy Nielsen, and we're going to be talking about the emotions and impact of infertility on pregnancy. That's a lot of big words. (laughs) Thanks, Sarah. It's good to be here with you. I'm so excited. Okay, so first of all, tell us about your story. Sure. So I have what's referred to as secondary infertility. That means I was able to achieve a first pregnancy without a lot of medical intervention, but then... um, I was not able to become pregnant after that. So infertility is basically defined as when you have unprotected intercourse for a year and are unable to achieve a pregnancy. If that is you, then you fall into the category of someone that is struggling with fertility. Mm. So I have a son who is now nine. And when he was six, um, I was trying to have a baby with my husband. And, you know, the normal traditional way wasn't going so well. So we immediately sought um, medical help. We went to my OBGYN and did a couple of rounds of medicated timed intercourse, and that was unsuccessful. And so we eventually went to a reproductive endocrinologist or a fertility specialist. And mm. once we were there, we did three or four rounds of intrauterine insemination or IUI. Um, and what is that? That's basically where... They give the woman medication to induce ovulation. They make you grow more than one egg, so you have a higher chance of achieving a pregnancy. And then they take the sperm and they um, put it through a catheter through the woman's vagina into her uterus, and then they try and get the sperm a little bit closer to the egg so that they have less far to travel. It's it's like delivery service. <laughs> it is. It's like it's like Uber Eats for yeah. sperm. They just kind of like put them like right there <laughs> yeah. at the doorstep. Got it. Okay. If it's not working there, then there's something else going on. Then there's something else going on. And so at that point, after our third, we had a third failed cycle, and then we were going in for a fourth cycle, and there were some other medical issues. And so we decided to take a break from treatment for a while. And our doctor suggested that we move on to in vitro fertilization, which is IVF. And that's where they take, they harvest eggs. So you grow a whole bunch of eggs. Even a woman only usually makes one egg a month. Um, with IVF, you can make anywhere from probably six to 30 eggs. Whoa. Yeah. So, and that's because I've seen the pictures on social media of the, all of the injections and then the bruises. So that's, that's the hormones that they're giving you to make you make that many eggs. Yes. That's got, Ooh, that's, that's a big job for your body. Yeah. It's a, it's a little intense. We didn't go, um, it took us a while to save up enough money to do IVF because it's a very expensive procedure and it's almost never covered by insurance. So our procedure was about $30,000 out of pocket. Wow. Wow, yeah. wow, wow. So we were very Ooh. lucky that we were able to negotiate some um, trade with my fertility clinic, with the doctor there. He was very generous in letting me do some blogging work for him to kind of offset so some kind of, of the cost. You kind of worked for the clinic and helped Yeah, them. and then we just saved and saved and saved. <gasps> and more saving. And then Egg more saving. Steel. Yeah. <laughs> and then, okay, so how many eggs did you, um, uh, did they harvest? I they harvested. That word is so funny to me. 12 eggs. I did just over... 200 injections during the oh that of sounds treatment. so much fun <laughs> it was a little intense oh man so they harvested 12 eggs and then 
you have what's called kind of depreciation over time. And so they harvest the eggs and then they do what's called ICSI or intercytoplasmic sperm injection. So they take and then individual. They the sperm, right? Uber eats. It's like it's even more than that. It's <laughs> like it's like room you. service. <laughs> service. They're taking go. it right there, and they individually fertilize each egg. Okay. And then once the egg is fertilized, they watch the, the little um, the little fertilized eggs grow over time. So you start with twelve, and then eight fertilized, and then on day three we had seven, and then on day five we only had four, and then two more caught up on day six, and so we ended up with six embryos. And we chose, um, because we were unexplained infertility, that means there was no medical reason why we couldn't get pregnant. We chose to do some genetic testing on our blastocysts or the embryos to let us know if they were genetically normal or not. So we ended up with only two genetically normal embryos after the end of the process. So um, because you weren't unexplained, you thought maybe your pregnancies were failing because the blastocytes were like not genetic, something was wonking out so they would just slough off and you wouldn't get Pregnant. That's the most common cause of um, early pregnancy loss and also failed implantation is a genetic abnormality with the embryo. Oh, interesting. And okay. so that that was probably a factor. I was never getting pregnant. So you though, were probably so. getting, you were probably conceiving, but the egg wasn't coming together or the, the egg wasn't implanting. Is yeah. that kind of what? The doctors think it either was the egg wasn't implanting, um, but I was never actually, like I only experienced one pregnancy loss mm-hmm. and it was very early after my first child was born. And they said it was probably even a chemical pregnancy. So I'd never even achieved a pregnancy that ended in okay. miscarriage. It was just no. So after they did the testing on your on your little cells, they you only ended up with two. Yeah. So the other ones did have genetic abnormalities. Yes. Four of the six had genetic abnormalities, which is really unusual for my age. Um, it was kind of, it's really sad because you get really excited about the possibility and you realize, you know, this is an intense, not just physically intense process that you're going through, but emotionally intense. Yeah. And, you know, you're checking, you're going in for appointments and ultrasounds every other day. Because this is, this is really, really sexy. This is part of the, right? I it mean, is. This process is super it's very, sexy. It's very attractive <laughs> when your stomach bloats out and you look like you're three months oh, pregnant. So there's, yeah, it's hard. And you're on hormones. So you're do the emotions. super emotional. Oh. And then so once they harvest the eggs, they're frozen. So they're frozen. And then the next month we did a frozen embryo transfer where you prep your lining. And so you do more injections. My favorite are the progesterone and oil injections. So you get an inch and a half needle. And then you get to inject progesterone and oil, which is really thick, right into your butt muscle. That's some good that times. That's some real good. bonding time with my husband right there. Well, you Shots stick in me in my butt. Yeah. <laughs> every, okay, not, bring back the sexy, right? Did you have candles on? And yes, every time. <laughs> it, was, so. it, was, it was intense. We, I will say it, um, I think infertility really makes or breaks you as a couple because it's just, oh. it really tries, yeah. it, it tries the top like three things of a, a marriage, right? It's stress, money. it's money and it's sex. Oh yeah. Cause when you, when sex can't be used to achieve a pregnancy, it really changes that intimacy dynamic. And I feel really grateful that I, um, had been exposed to a lot of things within the infertility world. And so I kind of knew what to look for, what to watch out for. And I feel like my husband and I really were able to separate our relationship from the experience we were having with infertility and treat mm-hmm. infertility much like a disease. That's what it is. It's a medical you condition. you were just taking care of a condition. We are just taking Got care it. of a medical condition. And we approached it that way. And we approached it like a team. Um, it kind of did help that we didn't have a specific diagnosis. It was really hard to hear every time we would go in and be like, man, Mandy's husband, your sperm is so awesome. And I'd be like, I guess it's my fault, clearly. <laughs> 
Clearly. But we just never, ever said that. Like, we just made very a very conscious decision to say, well, it's not your fault or my fault. This is something we are experiencing as a well, couple. Well, how would they know where the genetic abnormalities are coming from? They did not. And so, But this is before we knew about the genetic abnormalities. Oh, that okay. So the he's got some process. super powerful swimmers. Maybe, swimmers allegedly. Yeah. Allegedly. <laughs> allegedly. This is yet to be proven. <laughs> so, okay. So then did they implant both eggs? No, because we one? only had two. And you have a much... When the... Um, embryo is genetically tested, you have a little bit higher success rate. Um, and we knew the genders going into our thing. And so we chose to, we had a boy embryo and a girl embryo and we chose to implant our girl embryo first. We decided to do one embryo at a time because that way, if there was a problem with implantation or with that part of the medical process that we would know and be able to fix it rather than lose both embryos and have to start the whole process process over again, which that's, we didn't have another $30,000. No. So. Okay. Okay. So sidetrack really quick. So now, uh, quick. So you have um, another embryo frozen right now. So yes. you could do another process. It would co- wouldn't cost that much again. No, it wouldn't. now it's just the procedure of implantation. Yes. Now it's just the implantation procedure. And that tends to, even with medication, it tends to fall more between three and $5,000. That's a steal. It is. It's a bargain. <laughs> this is that one, this one will be our bargain, baby. And Buy um, one, get one almost free. Buy one, get one kind of a lot off. We just have to joke about it, otherwise we'll cry. That's exactly true. And actually, <laughs> I worked with, when we're going to talk about the nonprofit I work for, I um, campaigned to the Utah State Legislature to run a trial program covering part of infertility costs. Mm. And so my husband works for the state of Utah, and so we're, a, we're part of the trial program to cover infertility costs if we do our transfer in the next few years. That's really cool. So I'm excited because I think it will give people um, – It'll give the legislature some idea of what it's like. When I was testifying to the Utah State Legislature about our experience, um, I was oh my goodness, even even just imagining that just kind of takes my breath away. (laughs) Oh my goodness, and just kind of explaining like you know these are normal people. Like not everyone has this kind of money, and everyone deserves a chance to have a family and to have a medical condition be treated. Yeah. This it's, is a medical condition. It's a condition. medical condition. It's yeah. not a choice. It's not something I signed up for. So you didn't, it's, yeah, yeah, you didn't choose this. I did not, not a, choose this. It's not a punishment from it's the not, universe. <laughs> it's not often, very rarely is it lifestyle impacted. So mm. it doesn't really so it makes sense that it's not covered at all medically. But yeah, I'll circle back. So we put in our girl embryo and a lot of people ask like, how do you choose which embryo to put in? And, at the end of the day, you just have to kind of go with what feels right, what your gut well, and instinct you, is. You intend to do both anyway. So we just, do. You just decided to to have a big sister versus a big brother. We did. Okay. I really wanted to have a different experience after having a boy. I was like, I think I'm ready to have a girl. That's see what awesome. That's like. And I had really, um, uh, some friends of mine at the very beginning of my fertility journey had bought me a necklace that said the word hope on it. Mm-hmm. And so I always just kind of loved that word. And my husband and I picked a poem by Emily Dickinson about how hope is the thing with feathers that perches on the soul and sings a song without the words and never stops at all. Just kind of as oh, a way of that. inspiration to keep us going when we're going through all of these things and spending all this money doing all these shots. Hope was kind of our mantra to get through it. And so I always said, if I ever have a little girl from all of us, I'm going to name her Hope. And so we all wore a little, like my mother-in-law had a hope bracelet. We all had little hope kind of tokens that we... Oh, that's going to be so fun as she grows up and Mm -hmm. learns her story. That's that's a really cool part of her story. Yeah, spoiler alert. It worked. It was successful. Oh, yeah, yeah. By the way, (laughs) there's a baby named Hope. (laughs) Yeah, I was – the embryo transfer was successful, and I was pregnant, and it was wonderful and miraculous. I'll never forget going to the fertility clinic and seeing her little heartbeat for the first time 
And then right at seven weeks, starting to throw up every day, yes, multiple right times on the, a day. Uh, <laughs> and that just kind of lasted until she was born. You just kept looking at that hope bracelet while I you did. were- I did. I was like, I must worshiping really love the porcelain this baby. throne. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Okay. So, and then um, did does infertility change your birth outcome? Like, is it a risk factor for a more dangerous birth or do you consider it normal? I was considered normal because I had a singleton pregnancy. Mm-hmm. A lot of times people associate infertility with um, higher instances of birth problems or interventions yeah, or higher risk pregnancies, but that's usually because a lot of fertility treatments result, well, not a lot, actually, less than half result in multiple births. Multiples. Multiples. And if you've had, if it's an IVF with a, a genetically tested embryo and it's implanted and everything's checked, you basically, you're done with the infertility treatment. You're now yes. a regular pregnancy. Yeah. As soon as I hit, um, they monitor you through almost your first trimester. You, gradu- you graduate. You graduate. From the to the Congratulations. Like, they do. They okay. have a whole little but tree even though you sign. is great. <laughs> even though you graduate, your emotions don't graduate. This isn't a normal pregnancy still, right? I think that's you? the tricky part is when you go to your OB, they haven't been on the same journey with you. They haven't been through all of the appointments. They haven't been through all of the shots. You're just another... Pregnancy them, and while my OBGYN is very understanding, I didn't really have space or time to kind of process all the trauma from the infertility. You're just on such a high level of stress, waiting for every test result, every lining check, every egg (laughs) check, every everything is just so high stress. And I felt like for me personally, the pregnancy had a lot more anxiety because I was so concerned about something happening. Yeah. And I think you're always concerned about that always, when you're pregnant. but when you've been through, you know, several months or years of this stress. This and you know that it can't happen, just happen again. I can be like, oh, well, if something happens. We'll just try again. We'll try again. We didn't have that option. Like if something happens, that was the end. We would have no more girl baby. And it was different also um, because during your first trimester when you're at such a, at a much higher risk for pregnancy loss, I didn't, at least with my son, I didn't know his gender until further along. And I would have been devastated how that pregnancy ended in pregnancy loss. And my one miscarriage was very early on too. And I was still devastated. But knowing the gender really changed my level of anxiety. I was so attached to this tiny embryo whose gender I knew and who I'd already named. This is really stressing me out. And this was two years ago in your story. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. No, and we can all feel for you for sure. So it was a lot higher stress and anxiety and then being sick while pregnant, I felt like I never was allowed to be unhappy during my pregnancy. That's right. Grateful, grateful, grateful. Yeah. Not they're grateful. like, you worked really hard for this. You paid $30,000 for this baby. You know, you wanted this for years and years. And so enjoy throwing up. Yeah. I don't know if anyone ever really, if <laughs> no. someone is telling you they're enjoying their morning sickness, they're just lying to you. No one enjoys <laughs> Nobody it. Nobody enjoys it. And I really had to get to a place where I was like, I can be grateful and miserable at the same time. It doesn't make me less grateful or less happy for this baby, but I can also be like, this is really freaking hard. Yeah. And, and so, okay. So, um, hope was born and you mentioned before we started recording that, um, that there's a risk factor though in postpartum. What was, uh, what was your experience with the, um, postpartum? So you are at a higher risk for postpartum depression and postpartum anxiety. If you have struggled with infertility treatments wow, because of the level of trauma that you've experienced before even the birth happens. And then I had a traumatic birth with my daughter. And so that just kind of really compounded all of the different 
risk factors. Mm. And so I really struggled with um, postpartum depression and postpartum anxiety after Hope was born. It took me a long time. She was probably, gosh, almost, she was a couple months old before I even realized what was going on. I just couldn't put my fingers like, why do I feel so gray you, all the time? You hadn't felt it with your son. No, I'd never experienced it before. And, and that's the other thing that people don't realize that postpartum, it doesn't always, you can have risk factors, but it doesn't always strike the same way every time. Like you yes. can have pregnancies that are very different from each other. Or yes. postpartum, you know, well, after pregnancy. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, and it can, man. I didn't really understand how it could manifest itself in different ways. Mm-hmm. I, how my experience with postpartum depression might look different than yours or someone else's or my friends. Every single one of them can be different and mm-hmm. they're still valid and your experience is still valid yeah. and important and worth listening. If something doesn't feel right or just feel off, having good friends and doctors that you yeah. can talk to and confide in, I think is really helpful. Yeah. For sure. Okay, so let's talk about the um, paths. We, we touched on a little bit the continuity of care in a in a pregnant woman's life is a little hard. I, I, you're not the first person to say this. It's kind of hard. You go through the fertility. You're you're going to the fertility specialist, and you kind of bond with them because well, and you go so often. You go. Yeah. I was there multiple times. When you do stims, when you grow your eggs, you're there every other day for ten days. Yeah. So then once once you graduate, then you have to go find an OB. It's almost like they cast you off into the world of <laughs> Yeah. Then you, then you go find an OB and then um and then you have a whole another experience and then um you have the baby and the OB usually cuts off care because he's yep. not your best friend. He doesn't come home with you. And then now you enter the postpartum period. So whereas a normal woman would only have, you know, the, the care during the pregnancy, you've had three distinct periods of of emotion <laughs> and experience. And that's, that's kind of, um, I think that sets up a woman a little bit for, for, for postpartum. Yes, it definitely sets you up. It's one of the things that, um, I am really passionate about is good mental health care during infertility and during postpartum ta- during postpartum period and during pregnancy and all those things. Something that I have been really grateful for is I work for the Utah infertility resource center, which is a nonprofit and the reason it was founded was because our founder, when she was going through fertility treatments, she was a social worker, and she noticed that there was no mental health care mm-hmm. as part of the treatment process for infertility. It's this huge traumatic event. The studies show that women and men who go through infertility rank it as high as an impact on their life as a major medical diagnosis of a heart attack, a stroke, or cancer. Like that's oh, how, and we're supposed to just laugh it off and have yeah. a Pinterest board about it. No, yeah, that's not how okay. that's how impactful it is to that's you emotionally. That's a big deal. Yeah, and so and this when, is to the woman, and also and this, the man. Both I of was going to say this is not just a woman's journey. This is the man's journey as well. Yeah, the partner's the, journey. The, the whoever, man's woman's whoever is going through infertility treatment. Like that's a shared journey, a shared mm-hmm. experience. But there's very little mental health care available, and that's really where um, the nonprofit work came in, and where I kind of learned how important it is to have therapy and counselors available and something that the UIRC is really passionate about is having affordable mental health care. So it's a nonprofit and we use the sponsorships, mm-hmm. all of the local fertility clinics in Utah are sponsors mm-hmm. and they, they offset the cost of specifically trained therapists. So that's a sliding fee scale. Cause when you're spending $30,000 on a cycle, you don't have the money to go see a therapist. No. But you need it so desperately yes. to process the trauma, to process the emotions, to move through the different 
phases of infertility because you have to grieve the losses. You totally. have to grieve the loss of having the family that you thought you were going to have. You have to grieve the loss of having your family created the way you thought it was going to be created. Sometimes you have to grieve the loss of a biological child and learn to open your heart to other paths to parenthood, such as third-party reproduction or adoption. Yeah, or oh, that's a perfect segue because I wanted to ask you, okay, so you've, you fall into the category of in, struggling with infertility after a year of yes. trying unprotected sex. And so now what are all the options? Like just let's go down the rabbit hole for a couple of the options. One would be the IVF route, which you that's the journey you went on. Yes. So most – and this thing I feel like most people don't understand – most people do not need IVF. When I was talking to my fertility specialist about it, so if you see a fertility specialist, less than 20% of his patients ended up needing IVF. So don't hesitate to go seek professional medical Sometimes help. Sometimes it's, um, okay, so yeah, the first thing you should do is go seek Seek, seek medical. professional medical help. For me, um, I, I actually had a thought, my thyroid was just too low to conceive naturally. And so I got supplemented with thyroid and I was pregnant within a couple of months. So for me, it yes. was just a very simple endocrine fix. Yes, that's why the reproductive endocrinologist, they specialize mm-hmm. in, and that's the first thing they do. They check all your hormone levels. And they check to make sure all the equipment is functioning the way it should function. They also check whose who's, who's responsibility. <laughs> well, sometimes it's a low sperm count. Yeah, sometimes, sometimes there's, uh, yeah, fat, infertility falls in different categories. So you have like 40%, well, let me think about the math. Math is hard for me right now. Yeah. Because <laughs> I have a little baby at home. It's probably like 30 to 40% male factor, 30 to 40% female factor, and then the rest falls into unexplained. Okay, so that's a big deal to me. I want to point that out. It's half and half. It is half and half. This is, I hear so many things, it's, it's a woman's, and it's culture, like woman's It's fault. not a woman's no. issue Mm-mm. at all. And so it's usually, it's 50-50. And sometimes there's the combination where there might be a low sperm count and um, kind of like- And a thyroid and disorder. And a thyroid disorder. And so between, you have to fix both things- so mm-hmm. what a reproductive endocrinologist does is it really focuses on on the fertility aspect. So you're not a lot of women go see their OBGYN and then they do months and months and months of Clomid mm-hmm. or Fomara or some pill that they're taking, but they're not getting monitored, they're not getting tested. So the really the first step is getting accurate medical care. And then once you have an accurate medical p- procedure or program, then you can really evaluate from there. Your choices. Your choices. Are you going to move down the medical path of medical interventions, such as IUI or IVF, like we talked about? Yeah. Um, are there other medical interventions other than those two? Those are the, um, they have timed intercourse with uh, ovulation induction, which is like Clomid, where they monitor to see if your eggs are growing. And then you just have intercourse at home on certain days. Okay. That's usually, that's like levels of escalation. It's like, that's like the first that's level. the first one. Mm-hmm. And then they jump to the IUI, which is an in-office procedure. And then they jump to IVF. And then if IVF fails, then there's some different levels. Is it failing because of an egg quality issue or a sperm quality issue? And then we talk about what's called third-party reproduction, where you might want to talk about having an egg donor or a sperm donor to create a, a healthy pregnancy. Or it might be one of my good friends um, that I've met through the Infertility Resource Center support group. Hers is an implantation issue. Her lining, her uterus cannot sustain a pregnancy. So they are going down the path of surrogacy of having someone else's uterus. So her eggs are fine. Her, her eggs are her fine. Husband's her husband's are fine. fine. Her embryos are healthy. She just can't. She just, she can't, just can't carry hold a pregnancy. She can't hold on to a pregnancy. She has had like six miscarriages in a row. And so then she's moved on now to the level of having someone else carry her child for her. And that is called gestational surrogacy. And what's the difference? I've heard the word traditional and gestational. Traditional is- surrogacy is illegal in the state of Utah and in a lot of states because that is where the person carrying the child also has a biological relation to the child. 
Well, which means the mother. So the mother's using her egg. Yes. Interesting. But is we'll be giving the baby to another party. And so if you need both an egg and a uterus, but you have the sperm, then you have to use an egg donor who is not the carrier, the surrogate. So you have to have so do fertil- two different parties. Do fertility clinics kind of, um, do they work with surrogacies? They do. The fertility so, oh, clinics oh, you cool. Okay, so then the procedures are the same for surrogates? Yes. Do, does it have to be IVF if it's a surrogate? It does have to be IVF if it's a surrogate because you ha- can't have the egg and the uterus be the same. Oh, right, right. Duh. So you have, to go, you, have to do, you have to do IVF there. If you do, if it's just a sperm issue and you choose to do the sperm donor route, then it can be IUI and not IVF. But a lot of people um, that want to have a child that's biologically related to one of the parents, right. they chose to do that. Okay. So um, like if a mom, if her eggs are okay, but her husband's sperm or he has no she can sperm do, count or has been through cancer treatment, doesn't have right. any sperm. So she can do a sperm donor within mm-hmm. her own body. Or if it's the same gender couple where there are two women, one of the mm-hmm. women can choose to donate. You can have a couple different options, and they have a third-party reproduction specialist at each fertility clinic that kind of walks couples through this. And then there's a really unique um, third-party aspect that I've talked to a couple of women and men and couples that have gone through, which is embryo adoption. Mm. Where when you so when you have IVF, let's say that my embryos had all been healthy, and I had six embryos, and my first two or three transfers were successful, but then I still had three or four embryos left. Um, you have a couple of options. You can donate them to science. You can keep them, you can pay to have them frozen forever. You can do a lot of different things. And a lot, what a lot of couples choose to do is they choose to adopt those embryos out to another couple. So another couple has a chance at carrying a child. Wow. So you have embryo adoption. There are so many embryos. different options. Oh, and I also want to backtrack. When I'm talking about a, a sperm don- donor, it would be a donor. They're, they're like anonymous, right? Or you pick. You can. So when you do that, you can have a don't. known donor or an, or an unknown donor with both, with all the third-party options. You can choose an, a known egg donor or an unknown egg donor, a known sperm donor or an unknown donor. You have oh, a lot of choices and options. And they don't have any legal uh, right to the child. No child support, no like custody battles. No, That's- it's all very, third-party reproduction is its own special Kind of, we could spend hours talking about this. I know. I'm I just totally, asking. Tons I would totally of recommend talking to someone that um, has a good background in this. Like, there's a really good attorney here in Utah that handles this all the time because it's a very intense. I was going like, because every couple needs contract. to know exactly what they're going into. Yes, right? each party knows what they're going into. There's mm-hmm. not only a legal contract, but there's also counseling that goes with third party reproduction because it's very, um, it's. It's similar to when you go through an adoption process. Yeah, I would think. With the, with yeah. the legal paperwork, with the emotional processing, it's it's similar in a lot of ways to that process where you have kind of a variety of levels. Mm-hmm. But it all takes place before the child is born rather than after. Awesome. So that's the one route. And the other route would be the adoption route or foster care or foster to adopt. So there's a lot of different kind of ways to build your family and something that I've seen being active in the infertility community is that each of these ways are valid and beautiful, and there's no totally. one right way to do it. Totally. They're all hard in their own sense because you have to process the trauma of infertility, and then all of the feelings that come with that as you become pregnant or you bring a newborn into your home or an older child into your home, or you conceive using a donor a donor egg or an adopted embryo, it all has different levels that you have to kind of process and work through, but they all are beautiful. I know personally families that have 
grown in each of these ways. And they are all happy, loving, well-adjusted, wonderful families. Yeah. I'm just so glad that they have so many options. I feel like people don't know. They try for a year to get pregnant and they're like, oh, I guess we could never have a baby. And I just want to say, you can. Yeah. Okay. So go back to your the nonprofit that you work for. They stand just for mental health or, or they're trying to get insurance companies to cover fertility. What, what, is, what can be done? So there's a lot of different things. The, the nonprofit I work for, our main goals are education, support, and awareness. So we do free educational consults and we talk about the options people have. So when you very first realize you can't get pregnant, we kind of walk you through, like we just did kind of what your choices are and what your resources are. And then if you go through that and you're not able to conceive, then we have another free consult where we talk about, okay, here's some of the third party options. And then we also offer educational programs throughout the year. So in a couple of weeks, we're doing um, a moving on to adoption seminar where one of our therapists is going to walk couples through the, the process of adoption. She's an adoptive mother, and so she knows the process really well. And so she's going to kind of help walk through both the trauma of infertility and working through that and grieving that and then opening your heart to adoption and what that process can look like. So we offer those programs. Um, we also offer sliding fee scale therapy and therapy groups. We offer in-person support groups across the state. and an on, a really there, there are resources like this all over the nation, right? You just kind of yes. have to look for it. Yes. The best one to go, the national infertility organization that has support groups across the country is Resolve. And we do work with them. So the Resolve Infertility um, nonprofit is the national one. And they have a lot of Resolve support groups across the country. And I have personally been to um, the Day on the Hill. Speaking of advocacy, mm -hmm. we do go... I didn't go last year because I just had a baby, but my coworkers went and we go to Washington, D.C. with Resolve and we talk to members of the legislature about infertility. Because it's it's still kind of seen culturally as um, a uh, an elective very taboo. procedure. Well, taboo, but an elective procedure, it right? It is very much viewed as elective. And there's just a lot of... Um, I don't want to say ignorance, but that's kind of... The, no, no, let's go that's, there. That's let's... really the word. There's a lot of ignorance about infertility. Mm -hmm. I've had to ask anyone that hasn't been able well, to that's, get pregnant. That's what I, I mean, I, I, my infertility journey was very, it was just, it was hormonal fixed. We did it. Um, but I, I just, there is so, I hear so much judgment. Like maybe you didn't do it in the right position or maybe like you're not eating the right foods or maybe, and they, people put so much blame on like these weird reasons. Yes. Maybe if you, but you already had a baby had once. What's faith. wrong with the second? Maybe <laughs> yeah. if you, but I mean, and, stood on your head and, and they with, don't realize it's a medical. And with you, condition. you had already had a baby. Yes. So that's why it's like, well, what's, what's broken with you now? You know, like, yeah. and it's a medical condition. It's not a state of mind. Yes. Infertility is not something people are imagining. Isn't it's that not so something silly that we chosen. have to say that? <laughs> it is. Well, it's uncomfortable because usually people associate fertility with reproduction and with sex and people don't want to talk about that. Oh. I had a number of legislatures that I gave my little sperm and egg pen to, and they were like, "What is that?" I was like, "You well, gave excuse me, what? You gave it's a little, it's a little, it's a little <laughs> pen, and it has a little egg, and then some little sperms in it." Oh my god! Or as my son refers to it, the Death Star and the torpedoes. That works. We'll go with that. So that was that's what I was like. Well, it's either sperm and an egg pen or the Death Star and torpedoes. You can you pick. should have probably just told the legislatures what Death Star and torpedoes, and then winked at them, and then just let them sit in their discomfort. <laughs> I like making people uncomfortable. Especially about something that I think is important. And so I was very willing to kind of go there and be like, yeah, yeah. this is a sperm and this is an egg and these are where your babies came from. Oh, take their breath away. Okay, so the goal of going to the legislature is to try and... Both raise awareness and increase coverage. 
So that's the ultimate goal is to have better coverage, medical coverage for infertility treatments. Because like I said, it's prohibitively expensive for most couples and very, very few companies cover infertility treatments. And there are some states where there's mandated coverage, states like Massachusetts. They mandate fertility coverage? They mandated coverage? fertility coverage. What has that done to the fertility business there? I mean, because it's still, it's still quite, I mean, it's still elective, whether it's a, a medical condition or not, to choose to go through a fertility treatment is still, you get to choose it. Well, what it's done is it's created some regulations on the treatment and it's actually increased the rates of singleton pregnancies. Because when women have the option to elect for a single embryo transfer or to have more treatments, because it's, it's safer, it's safer for the health of the mother I and love the baby to have a single embryo transfer because multiple. If they're not so worried about the 30,000 hit every time, they're exactly. not going to try and trans do four or five embryos or whatever it is. Yes. Most doctors will never do more than two. You'll have a couple that do three. But that's very rare. Usually it's just one or two embryos, but you also have a, a chance that the, the embryos themselves will split. And so that's how people end up with quadruplets is they put yeah. in two embryos. It, it, so um, do you have more split. of a risk factor for for multiples if with IVF? Only if you put in two embryos. That's And that's where people assume. No, I mean, I mean okay. over the splitting? No. No, that's just a normal, it's, it's totally just a fluke, random. just like everybody else. Got it. Yeah, that's just a fluke. But when you, when you regulate or when you legislate the coverage, it gives men and women, but mostly women, more options, more choices where they can feel empowered and safe to make healthier choices for them and for their children. If you're not so worried about spending 30 grand on a pregnancy, you're probably mm-hmm. going to elect to do a single embryo transfer. And a lot of the double embryo transfers are not covered. So it's covered if you do it the safer way. Oh, so it's it's really rewarding a healthier yes. what is this procedure is, it's anyway. Reward, and it saves the, what we try and educate legislators about is that it saves money because when you have people choosing to put in two or more embryos, they are going to be using more resources in prenatal care because mm-hmm. you're a high-risk pregnancy. Yep. You're going to have a much higher risk of premature birth. Mm-hmm. And then you're going to have NICU time. Yep. You're going to have men and women out of the workforce longer. It has this kind of like ripple effect that people aren't seeing all the way through. But when you allow men and women to have coverage for their medical condition of infertility, they're able to grow their families in a safe and healthy way. I had never thought about that that way before. So I wonder what it's done to the cost. Uh, I think the cost it's has been relatively constant. Yeah, because that's what it costs. Similar. It it's costs pretty 30 similar grand, so across. It, it varies. Some clinics, it'll be more in the $15,000 range. It depends also on your diagnosis. The medication, I took a lot of medication for mine. Um, so my medication cost was more in the five to seven thousand dollar range instead of the three to four thousand dollar range. Mm-hmm. So depending on your diagnosis, the cost will vary. But usually it's between probably like eighteen thousand on the lowest end that I've heard to thirty five thousand on the highest end. Wow. Okay. So just curious. Next time you do it, you're going to have to do all of the. You're just going to have to do the drugs that like make your lining really just, Yeah, we'll do a frozen embryo transfer where they just transfer the one single frozen embryo. And if that takes, um, great. I will be super excited and happy. Um, and if not, I will have to debate whether they we want to do, the, do whole. the whole process again. Um, and because it's been years have gone by and as a woman, your egg quality starts to decline. So I'm now over 35. You're a geriatric I'm, pregnancy. I have a geriatric pregnancy. <laughs> 
But uh, the likelihood of having another successful cycle starts to go down. And so it's something that you really have to consider as you move forward. But it does make the idea of transferring a lot more stressful and the idea of having another pregnancy a lot more stressful because you're like, this is my only chance. What if it doesn't work? You just kind of carry that stress and anxiety with you, which yeah. is why the continuity of care between the preconception, the conception, the first trimester, the rest, like, I think that's why it's so important to have kind of a mental health component in yeah. there because it, it helps provide that continuity of care that otherwise just doesn't exist. Because if a woman, woman knows she has a base, she has somebody that understands her story that like she can, a mental health provider, yes. then, then that can walk her through the entire, all the steps. She yes. can kind of cling to that. Well, someone that can help you un- process the emotions you're feeling that when you're awake and trying and you're using your home Doppler in the middle of the night and you're having a panic attack, it's like, okay, that's not okay. Did you do that? No. Maybe a little bit. <laughs> I didn't buy a home Doppler because my mental health professional coworkers you were like, it. Do, not do not buy, buy a, Doppler. a Doppler. Because and my nurse said the same thing. She's like, You will drive yourself crazy. She's like, if you're that concerned, she's like, just come in. This is what we're talking about, a team. Because they they rallied around you and gave you that support. So you didn't yeah, like, feel like you have to go they buy a Doppler. You, like, you know, but I will say when I was first pregnant, I took pregnancy tests every single day to make sure you to were make sure still I was still pregnant pregnant it was crazy I was like sitting there I would line them all up and see if the lines were getting darker if they looked the same that's really it stressful messes with your brain so yes. you really have to have a good team to kind of bring you back down and be like you know you know chances are everything is okay yep and if something wasn't okay there's nothing you could do about it anyway what it is is learning to kind of like let go of that control mm-hmm. because pregnancy is so much out of your control and fertility treatments are too but in, with fertility you feel like you're doing something you're doing shots you're doing appointments you're like okay I'm so doing it, it gives you kind of this false sense of control yes it gives you a false sense of control uh-huh. very much so and then they the embryo then you know they harvest the eggs the embryo is growing you're like well now i have no control which is good preparation for motherhood <laughs> bring it on <laughs> Well, okay. I want to talk about the mental health aspect a little bit yeah. more because I think we say it's really easy for us to say you need mental health therapists. You need you need you need somebody there to walk you through. What does mental health in this aspect look like? Like, I mean, what kind of therapist do people find? What does a therapy session look like? So many people just see your therapy, and it's like almost like what center are you in? Because they don't believe that 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 therapist that it's really a legitimate tool. Yes. Well, there is specialized training for infertility therapists. There we go. Um, and not every therapist has infertility training. I feel really lucky that the nonprofit I work for here in Utah, all of the therapists have both personal experience with infertility as well That's as professional training That's a big deal for them to have personal experience because then you feel connected automatically. You do. You have a really good connection and they understand things on a very personal level. And that's not to say that people that don't have personal experience with infertility cannot be great infertility therapists. No, for sure. But it's, it just, just, a, it's just an nice. added component. Um, the American Society for Reproductive Medicine does the ASRM. They do trainings for fertility therapists, um, or infertility therapists to help deal with infertility trauma. So you're going to want to look with someone that kind of has that background. Mm-hmm. And then as far as what a therapy session looks like, it really depends on what you're going through. Mostly it's someone to listen to you and help you work through your own feelings about it. You know, it's very much, this is, and it depends what aspect of infertility you're struggling with. So I went to a seminar hosted by one of our therapists where she talked about um, the impact of infertility on couples and what that looked like with your partner. How do you, what do you do when you and your partner have different opinions about this really important thing? One partner wants to be gung-ho and do IVF. The other one is like, I think we should look into adoption. How do you 
reconcile those yeah, things. Yeah, that's a big deal. What do you do when one couple or when you're going through fertility treatments and it kills your sex life because the woman is on crazy hormones <laughs> and the husband has no sperm count, so that he feels emasculated. There we go. Like, what do you do? It's like oh. working through that and talking through those issues and having someone who says, you're not crazy. This is normal. This is part of this disease. This is an aspect of it that you have to work through and deal with. It's something that you're going to have to learn to work through and talk about and giving you the, and it's really giving you tools to manage your mental health during mm -hmm. this time of your life. It's being able to say, okay, this is, fertility isn't just something that's happening to you. It's something that is happening and it's part of your life and you're going to have to find a way to work through it and to move through that process. And it also kind of coaches you through the mourning process because there is a lot of loss with infertility. Like I said before, first it's the total loss of control of growing your family. Yeah. And that is something you have to mourn and having someone walk you through that mourning process. And with infertility, what's really hard is you're going through that grieving process every month that you're not pregnant. Mm -hmm. Every month you have a constant, as a woman, you have a constant physical reminder that you are not carrying a child. And then there's a lot of anniversaries. When you have a pregnancy loss, there's an anniversary when the baby would have been born. We have a lot of women in our community that have had um, pregnancy loss and stillbirth. And that's another part, an aspect of this treatment when you've lost an infant or had a stillborn or miscarried, a, uh, had a late-term miscarriage. Like there's a lot of trauma and loss that you want to work through. And even just your basic, quote-unquote, infertility diagnosis still is loss and mm -hmm. having someone that can kind of walk you through processing that loss and especially processing with a partner because pe people grieve so differently yeah. and move through the grief cycle at different speeds. And so being able to help each other see that. And so we, the offering either both couples counseling and individual counseling, some kind of combination depending on the issue that you're working through. And sometimes it's the loss of um, power that you have to kind of embrace or not feeling um, feminine enough have being robbed of infer like having fertility really robs you of that feeling of this is, this is my job. Like I'm a woman, I'm supposed to create life and have a baby. And you feel very, um, kind of sad about not being able to do that. Or for a man, when he discovers he has zero sperm count, you know, he feels very emasculated. And how do you work through those things? These are real issues that come with infertility. Yeah. And then there's also the massive money aspect. Like how do you talk talk about that, how you talk about savings. And a lot of people, when they're confronted with a massive, seemingly unachievable goal, they're like, well, I'm just going to spend all my money. Yeah. I was going to say, it just, it makes it feel like hopeless. Like how do you manage that, that huge cost? And then, and yeah. then all the other, cause you still got to keep your life running. Yeah. You still have to go to work. Well, and that's the thing. It's like, how do you, how do you move forward? And that's the big part of infertility therapy is like, how do you move through it? How you do you find meaningfulness I guess you can mortgage your, your house, but then there's the, that extra stress of a loan. Yeah. And there are loans. There are um, wonderful organizations that do low interest rate Oh, loans. for fertility? For infertility, yeah. Oh, bless them. So there's, and there's a lot of grants. We have a couple of nonprofits in Utah that do grants. The, the um, fertility clinics offer free cycles um, for these grants and people apply and then people donate money. And so a lot of us spend a lot of time raising money to help others. Once you've been through fertility, the really wonderful part is you are automatically a part of this tremendously strong community. We have this connection with other men and women that know what it's like. It's a community you don't even know existed. Yeah. And my husband often says, he's like, I didn't even know this that infertility was a thing. He's like, I didn't even know this was a thing people went through. And like, now you're in a club. That, and now you're and in you're a bonded super tight. inclusive club. And you know, some of my best friends are people I've met through support groups or through work or through volunteering or through fundraising. 
because we really, we get it. We get that it's really hard. And then you want to be there for other people and pave the way to make their journey less hard. And it really makes your really terrible experience not seem so fruitless. Like it has a point. Oh, I love that. Okay. So how do you manage um, the ignorant, rude, naive, judgmental comments (laughs) from the general public about your situation? It depends on my mood personally. Okay, just throw some ideas out there. See, one time someone asked me, someone said, your son really needs a sibling. Are you working on that? I was like, by working on it, do you mean having copious unprotected sex with my husband? Then yes. (laughs) This was also at church, so it might not have been the most appropriate place to make that No, I think that's actually especially appropriate. But, uh... Usually, I have to remind myself that I used to be ignorant about it too. Yeah. And most people are well-meaning people. They feel so bad that you can't have something that comes easily to them, and they don't know what to do. Right. Okay. So give us some tools. So some great tools. So if someone you know is going through fertility, the first thing you do, do not ask them if they are pregnant. Never, just never ask them if they are pregnant. Don't ask them if they are trying. If they have shared with you that they are trying and on their fertility journey, that is a different level. That's when you say, Mm -hmm. how can I support you? Are you going through treatments right now? Do you want to talk about it? Um, I can't, I had a really great group of friends when I was going through my cycles, I, they had their little calendar out and they knew. And so they would say, Hey, just, you know, I know you're going for your blood test today. Just know we're cheering for you. You don't feel pressure to let us know either way. Remember that you are not entitled to know their their story or their journey. You are not entitled to an explanation of their fertility journey. No, but you can offer support. And they and when I share with them like, oh, you know, it didn't work out this month. Flowers showed up on my doorstep later that afternoon. Aww. Or friends, when I was doing IVF, would offer to take my older son swimming so I could rest. The hormones would be really tired and gave me headaches. People would bring... I had a girlfriend who would bring over caffeine-free Diet Cokes. I was trying to get off of caffeine and some pumpkin bread, like just little tiny acts of showing like, hey, I see you. Your journey is valid. Um, Something else is a lot of people have questions about how do you handle a pregnancy announcement when your friend is going through infertility? Oh, yeah, please. And I think the best tip is to be forthright and not to surprise them in front of other people. Oh, that's a good tip. So um, my two sister-in-laws get pregnant three sister-in-laws get pregnant while I was going through my infertility journey. And something I really appreciate is each of them called me and spoke to me individually, not at the big family reveal. And they all said the same thing. Like, we know that you're going through this and we know that it's okay. We know that you're happy for us, even though you're sad for you and we're sad for you too and happy for us. Giving someone else being sad doesn't, is not a reflection on your pregnancy. They're still, they're still happy for you, but it is a really painful reminder of what you can't have. So yeah. don't be offended when someone cries or can't come to the baby shower. Just know that it's a very difficult emotional time that they are still processing their grief. Yeah. And it's not a reflection of how they feel about you as a friend or how excited they are for your baby. I can be equal parts super excited. I was super excited for my nieces and nephews and I love them to pieces. And it was still really hard when my sister-in-laws were pregnant yeah. and I wasn't. It was really hard when their babies were born and I didn't have one in my arms. Yeah. And so being able to kind of hold space for your friends and family members that are struggling and understand and not criticize their reaction. Their reaction comes from grief. Yeah. And people grieve differently. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And then how about um, once, if the fertility treatment works and you are pregnant, then the comments coming from people like, 
Hmm. Are you just finally, so grateful? Are you so grateful that that's over? Like you just comments, must be so happy. The and comments yes, you I made are at the so beginning happy. about the shots. Like, <laughs> congratulations. Yeah, it's um, it's interesting being on the other end. People suddenly, and I get that's kind of my own fault. I was very open about our fertility journey because I'm a very open person, and I wanted. I felt that I was in a strong enough place emotionally that I could share my journey and mm-hmm. hopefully would raise some awareness and give people courage to seek treatment themselves rather than suffer in silence. And I, I've gotten a lot of comments like, you just must be grateful for her every day. And I have to say like, I am grateful for every day, but sometimes she's still a baby. <laughs> and sometimes I'm still really tired. Yeah. And I really, that really contributed to my postpartum depression because I didn't feel like I had the right to be sad or feel anything besides grateful and happy. You can't maintain that 100% of the time, no matter what. You can't. It's an unrealistic expectation to put on yourself and to put on other people. For anything. I mean, for anything. I, mean, I have a great, you know, new car and, and it's still, whatever, or a husband or like anything you have. You can't be happy, happy, grateful, grateful all the time. Like, no, like, you, you, you definitely can't. And you have to be, like I said earlier, to hold space for being both happy and having a hard time. Both of those things can coexist at the same time. And you can be grateful and unhappy at the same time, too. When my, <laughs> my baby my, had the stomach flu, I was yeah, definitely exactly. not happy. I don't, my kids know that. I'll, I'll flat out say, I love you, but right now I do not like you. Go to bed. <laughs> exactly. No, I'm, I'm very gentle, but not well, I mean, all the time. <laughs> it's, it's just true. And um, people seem very entitled to know about my next steps. And my friends are like, so you have another embryo. What's going to happen? Well, are you I'm excited? entitled to know because we're doing a podcast together. So I know. you're like, <laughs> <kidding>. listeners, <laughs> I will just... take you with me to the embryo transfer. Just... Well, no, just what? Oh, will you? Next I would totally, <laughs> I would totally do that because I feel like people are so afraid and f- Fear is not a good reason to make so or not I, make a choice. I guess also just be sensitive to the person you're talking to. If you're talking to Miss Mandy here, then you could, they, people could probably ask you questions and you wouldn't mind letting wouldn't. them know a little bit. But if that's not your friend's style or your sister's style, don't feel like she owes you an explanation. Exactly. Like, don't think that someone, mm-hmm. because they, and just because someone has shared with you before doesn't mean they want to share with you right now. And they yeah. might have just gotten some, like, I, there was a time where I had a really hard time. I'd been really open about fertility journey. But when we found out we only had two embryos that were normal, I was so you sad. You were quiet for a minute. Yeah. And I was really quiet. And I had a lot of people like, are you okay? What's going on? What's going on? Just and, I just, and I just had to be like, I just need a minute to process this. The other thing I've noticed, because um, I'm a, I'm a silent processor. Like I can't talk about my pain or my trauma while I'm in the pain or trauma. And, but then I'm a little bit more open afterwards. And I've seen a lot of people will, they're coming out stories on Facebook of like, I've been, um, you know, I've been silently suffering or here, or they'll post the pictures of their, their shots and, and just say, this is what I went through. And I think my knee jerk reaction would be like, I'm so sorry. I was ignorant to it the entire time. And then there's this stupid guilt and it's like making it about me and my emotions that I wasn't calming my emotions by being in their story. It's just, it's a weird mind game. And I just realized like if they chose not to tell me their story, then I get, but they choose now. I'm so grateful. I get to be in there, like get to be their friend now. And then I just write back and I say things like, Oh my goodness, what a journey. I love you. You know? And like, it's, there's no expectation for them to, give or take, you know, anymore. I don't have to like feel guilty for the support I didn't provide. No, you don't have to feel guilty. Guilty is, guilt is not a, guilt is dumb. It's, it's not really, <laughs> a, it's not a productive feeling. I think that if you don't know what to say, the best thing is to say is I love you I love and I'm you. here for you. Mm-hmm. I'm here for you. And do you and need any ice cream? Because yes. Do you need some ice cream? Can I, <laughs> you know, do you want to talk about it? 
And if you don't want to talk about it, that's don't okay. Say, don't say, if you need anything, let me know. No. Don't say that. No. But a simple. Say, call me when I'm, you want me to do your laundry. I'm here for you. <laughs> I am ready to listen when you're ready to talk. Yeah. And just kind of checking in in an unobtrusive way, depending on your level of closeness. For example, if we went to high school together and haven't talked in 10 years and you see a vague post on Instagram, maybe <laughs> don't message me. Maybe because not. Because we're not actually friends. We're just you know, social media friends. If, you know, we went to lunch last week and you notice I was kind of down, then maybe that's when you reach out and say, hey, yeah, I'm noticing this about you. If you want to talk, I want to listen. And then actually listen. Don't give people unsolicited fertility advice just because magical oils and vitamins work for your <laughs> friends, cousins, nephew. Oh, yeah. Does not mean that it is legitimate medical one. advice. Please don't give advice. Unless maybe, you are their doctor. And they are their doctor, or you're close enough, or maybe you've gone through fertility and they have asked you for advice. Yes. Even but, then, I would say your go-to answer is, how can I emotionally support you in your journey? Yeah. And plan. your medical plan from your medical provider, because it's just so different for everyone and their journey is going to look mm-hmm. different and really respecting those differences and honoring them because their path might look different than your path or than your friend's mm-hmm. path but that every path to growing your family is valid and important. And sometimes people choosing to remain childless and not pursue a path is also a valid yes, option. very valid. And one that deserves support. Yeah. And not pity. <laughs> yeah. But you can still let them know about the uncopious amounts of sex you're having. Just anytime. Anytime. That's always, that's always, <laughs> that's always on the table. Uh, thank you so much. And if um, people want to learn more about the nonprofit you're, profit you're working for, what was the... Um, yes, it's the Utah Infertility Resource Center, and the website. I bet is, you if you Google it, Utah. I, I have Center. it in my mind, and my and mind then the is national totally organization break. is Resolve. Yes, Resolve, and they just search Resolve into fertility. Or yes, because there's search. also a carpet cleaner, which I know we're not <laughs> we're not referencing. Yes, Resolve Infertility. The website for the Utah Infertility Resource Center is. We just got a new one. It is www.utahinfertilityresourcecenter.org. Org. Org. Awesome. org. Because it's a nonprofit awesome. organization. So, Thank you so much for You're sharing welcome. your story and all your great advice. And It was great to be here. Please visit us at birthcircle.com, join our Facebook groups, or find us on Instagram and Pinterest. We hope you'll use our resources to support your birthing experience. And thank you to LaunchPod Media, who produces these podcasts.